Any education apart from Jesus Christ is for us miseducation. And it produces not education nor an educated man, but a new race of barbarians who are today busily destroying their civilization. Humanistic education is the institutionalized love of death. Christian education, because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast, conversations with Jesse and Courtney. Welcome to episode 15 of the Love of Life podcast. Thank you for joining us again. Episode 15, can you believe we've made it so far? I can't. <laughs> we're still in our infancy, pretty much. We are. We yeah, are. We're it's not new. really that far. Yeah, that's right. Um, so last episode was a lot of fun. Very interesting. We had Nathan Anderson, the director of On Earth As It Is In Heaven, and the upcoming docuseries Teach All Nations. I yeah. really had a great time. I did too. L- listening to him was just, you know... It was good. It was great. And I really loved, too, just some of the behind the scenes and him telling about um, what his beginning intentions were. And those were kind of thrown off. And that actually led to what we have in that documentary today, which is just great. And it's the way that the Lord works. He will have things prevail in his time and his way. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. It was great. So if you missed it, go watch his documentary on earth as it is in heaven. It is Great. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, There's a link in the description of the interview video you can get to, or if you just look on YouTube, On Earth As It Is In Heaven, um, you can find it there. It's probably, I think it's one of the top search results on there. Um, Also, if you have the Canon app, you probably already know this, it's actually on the Canon app, which is out of uh, Moscow, Idaho. Uh, So from Canon Press, you can get the Canon app. And we have that. There's tons of resources and books and videos and things on the Canon app that are, it's well worth, I think it's $7 a month, something like that. You get a free subscription for a week or something like that, I believe. So anyway, check it out. It's really good. It's really good. Okay. um, Coming up later this month, we have Poor Bishop Hooper, a band that is going through all of the Psalms right now. And we really enjoy listening to their music. Not only the Psalms, but they have something called the Golgotha Experience. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Do they have any other? I don't know if it's a part of the Golgotha Experience or not, but they have a song called Christ. If you haven't listened to it, it's incredible. It's very different, but it's very, very beautiful and um, unique. Yeah. Yeah, and their their music is just phenomenal. It's really good music, and we're really excited to be able to talk to them, spend a little while with them, uh, finding out more about their upcoming tours and um, just more. It's a, so it's a husband and wife. If you don't know about them, it's a husband and wife band duo that create all of their music in house. I believe. I mean, they have I their own so, yeah. home production studio and stuff, and yeah. So yeah, great, great music. Yeah, really good. And then also we'll be talking to Del Tackett. He is the 
I don't know how you call it, what, what you, he's the director and also stars in, I don't know if stars is the right word, but he's in the um, documentary Is Genesis History. That's also on the Canon app and it's on YouTube as well. So if you look up Is Genesis History, you can find uh, Del Tackett's documentary on there. And uh, it'll be really exciting to talk to him. Yeah, it's a great documentary. We enjoyed it, and we watched it with our kids, um, and they enjoyed it, too. And we're going to need to watch it before we talk to him <laughs> to him again. Yeah, I want to see it again anyway, so. Take notes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of information. There's a lot of information in it. It's like two hours, I want to say. Okay. And it goes through a ton of different... He interviews a lot of different people in different fields, um, that are experts in the fields of whatever, linguistics or, uh, I think, uh, paleontology, perhaps. Yeah, and different scientists but yeah. within different realms of the science world. It's very intriguing. The production quality is superb. Uh, again, it's called Is Genesis History? And that's really good. Okay, now what? So, I had a question for you. You've just been waiting for this. Like, yeah, literally, you're waiting to get past the introduction <laughs> just so you can ask me this. I mean, let's be honest, I have a lot more questions since this one, but okay. we'll just circle back around to this one. Um, I asked you last time. Don't circle back. I like know, a, you're looking at me because secretary. I just said that. Okay. Don't be cir- Okay. Sorry. Circle yeah. back. I don't even like that, and I don't even say that. But no, you just did. I did. Okay. So, apparently I do. Yeah. Um, or I did once. So, I asked you, because you were talking about overseers mm-hmm. and... Um, Watchmen on the Wall and how pastors should be preaching the full counsel. So I asked you, how do you know if somebody isn't, or how do you know if there's a wolf? That because we're supposed to be aware of wolves. How can you spot a wolf? How do you identify that? And how can you be on guard against um, either somebody not bringing the full counsel of the word or somebody even being a wolf? Because I think those are probably two different yeah. categories. Yeah. Well, I think if someone is a if someone is a believer, they have the Spirit of God residing inside of them, um, first and foremost, you must be in prayer. If you don't na- if you don't have dis- if one of your gift, if one of the gifts you have not been given is discernment, I would pray for discernment. Um, so prayer is a huge method for sort of figuring out or being able to um, understand sort of the wheat and the chaff of what a teacher is presenting. Uh, but also, you know, between prayer and reading the Word. I think being in the Word consistently and constantly and really seeking to understand the whole counsel of God um, will help set apart uh, your understanding. It will infuse an understanding when you listen to certain teachers. And there will be signals that go off. There will be certain things that will be said Um that can really like help, you'll recall help a scripture aid. and be like, oh, they just said that. That's but one I remember thing. Remember this scripture; it says this, and that's in contradiction. Uh, here's the thing: so if somebody says, <laughs> okay, so if if somebody is listening to this now and goes, I don't, I hear all different kinds of teachers, I take in everything, and nothing sounds bad. You're probably listening to some crappy stuff. You know, if unless unless you can truly understand, unless you know the the wheat and the chaff, unless you really can recognize 
these are the teachers that I need to listen to and that are good. But if you have, let's just say you suspect you have no filter or you're a new believer and, and you and, and you do need discernment from the word of God um, and from the spirit of God to give you discernment. Um, I would, if you're married or if you know a person who is more of like a mentor to you, I think being able to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, what what do you think about this? What do you think about this teacher? I mean, some teachers to, to, to me are obvious, you know, a health, wealth, gospel that is essentially preaching that our portion is in this life and ask the Lord for a million dollars and he wants to give it to you kind of thing. T- to me, that's obviously wrong. Right. There's far more convoluted things, though, that come from, say, Big Eva, that it, it's just, it is harder to, it's, it's harder to see, um, some of these things. So I think subjectively looking at what, you know, has sort of occurred or happened years ago when you were reading certain things and kind of following certain teachers, uh, I said, well, so-and-so is a false teacher and this person's a false teacher. And you said, well, why? Like, what, what? Like, well, they're using scriptures and lots of them. Like what's wrong with that? Like, right. Right. They're Christian and they, so what was my, what did I yeah. advise? So you advised me to, for a year, not read any of the authors that you had pointed out as being questionable or as being off. Um, and so I didn't. For a year, I just read the Bible and, you know, theologically sound, time-tested teachers. And it really was amazing because after that, what was so muddy for me before was clear. I could look back and read some of those teachers that I used to glean from. And while, yeah, they do quote scripture, then I could see like, but it's humanism or it's totally meism. This isn't the gospel. This isn't like teaching us to obey and love the Lord. Like this is teaching us how we can be. It's all about the self. Um, That was like one of the things, but I couldn't spot and identify how bad they were off or where they were saying some true things and then some lies until I completely walked away from their teaching. Um, and then going back, I could spot, wow, yeah, there is some truth in here, but there's also a lot of falsehood, um, which is the trickiest of the deceptions, right? Like even when the devil tempts Jesus, he doesn't just make random things up to tempt Jesus with. Like he quotes scripture. He misuses scripture. Um, he quotes it in a way that he's twisting it, but that's, it's not like the scripture isn't true, but it's not true how he's applying it. Right. So um, that was helpful to me. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think, I think discernment can be picked up or learned over time. I also think it's a gift that the, that the Lord can give people and some people have more of it than others. Well, you right? test me now. Sometimes you will say, Hey, let me read you something. And you won't tell me who it's by. Hmm. And you won't even tell me like, if you agree or disagree, you'll just read me something. Yeah. And I'll be like, um, well, this, this. And when they say that, and you'll, be, you'll just smile because I'll hit every single thing that you thought. Um, because I've learned, and not completely, I mean, I still need to be ever reading the Bible. Um, but there are a lot of things that now I can identify a lot more clearly that they're off. And it's not like the secret hidden thing so much as once you're, the more you're studying the true truth, the more you can see those things. Yeah. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17, I believe it is, or seven, 
17-7 or 17-7? 17-7. John? John. Yeah. I thought John 17-7 was that scripture about that. applying no. to know. No? Wasn't that? No. So, John 17, 17 is sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. Oh, 17, 17. I think it's yes. 17, 7. Right. Well, at first I said 17, 17, and then I thought, well, is it 17, 7? It's 17, 17. But we don't need to go on further. We, we got it. <laughs> Here it is. So, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Yeah. John 17, 17. Yeah. And in Psalm 19... It's all about how God's law, his word, his precepts, his commandments are right and right. pure and true and righteous altogether and good and making wise the simple, um, reviving the soul, rejoicing the heart. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, and the other thing is too, you know, I mean, the devil parades and masquerades as an angel of light. So there are a lot of teachers that do the same. They sort of masquerade as an angel of light and they will appear to give a clear cut or a message about Christ, but it lacks the true power of the gospel. And it really lacks the, the actual person nature of Christ revealed in scripture. And it lacks um, either context, God's law, or um, other aspects of God's word. That. So, what are what are some things that should be there? Like, what are some things you like? A good teacher will talk about this. Will talk about that. Will he'll talk about sin? If a teacher doesn't talk about sin, or if the teacher just sort of uses sin as an aside, you know, sort of like somewhere garbled in his message, he kind of goes in Jesus and sin, and boop goes right. You know, it, there's no and but. He says the word sin, but then there's no essence of sin. Like, what is sin? What is our understanding of our fallenness, um, our depravity? If he doesn't go into any depth of the nature of our sin, and especially cultural sins, I mean, this to me, I think is, I think it's the most obvious. When a teacher will not get up and, to, and, and talk about the cultural sins of the day, much less, you know, he'll just kind of, you know, we don't, we don't want to lie, cheat, or steal. Okay, that's true, but the guys that write silly country songs know that too. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like, and how, okay. how are we lying or cheating or, cheating or stealing in our day? Like, it's right. not necessarily always the most obvious, like, you shoplift kind of thing. But there sure. are other ways that we break that, that are relevant, that are yeah. um, things we do. And isn't that what, in the New Testament, the letters that are being written to the church... They're calling out specific cultural sins. Well, First Corinthians, about... most of First Corinthians is specificity. It's specific sins that Paul points out. In First Corinthians five, a man actually has his father's wife or his mother-in-law sexually. There's specific sin being mentioned here mm -hmm. that Paul says this is wrong. This is a sin, and um, that law is in Deuteronomy because yeah. I just read it. Oh right, that's right. Okay, so have I answered your question, or was there more 
Uh, is there a specific type of false teacher that you're wanting to know about? Or in general, are you talking about how do we just know we're false teachers? How, like, how can we spot them? Is that- yeah. Well, I think kind of how to be on guard was how I put it. But I think that does answer it. Like we have to be people of the word. But I think, you know, some of the things that we're hearing a lot about that I feel like a lot of people are being taken in by are a little craftier because yeah. like other worldviews, contrary to the Christian worldview, like critical race theory, they use a lot of Christian words, but they redefine them. Um, so when you hear words like equity and inclusion, like those sound good and equity is in the Bible. Like our God is a God of justice, but it means something completely different in the worldview of critical race theory. Um, as defined by the proponents of critical race theory, it means something completely different than God's justice. It's man-centered justice, not God's justice. And he's the one that gets to decide because he made the world. So I think when we see things like that, it's a little harder to see that somebody's teaching another gospel when they support that. There's somebody's teaching something that's actually the antithesis of the gospel. It has a different problem and solution than our sin and Christ's redemption, his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's the only thing that can bring true freedom. Um, So I think it just gets harder to spot with that kind of thing. And that's not the only thing, but that's one that stands out because it's gaining a lot of traction in the culture and it's, um, it's not godly. It's, yeah. And it seems to be one that I observe the, that, that big Eva has capitulated to in a lot of ways. Yeah. We see that. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you spot that? How do you, like, do you have to study critical race theory to be able to point it out or see it? Or is it, again, it's enough that you're just studying the Bible? I think when you understand the word of God and you understand God's justice, any demarcation or deviation from his justice becomes clearer to spot. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, reading a book like Fault Lines or another book by a good teacher can can help you understand maybe the history of CRT or other things. But But bad teachers are writing books too. Yes, that's true. So how do you know? This is a bad book. This is a good book. Well, read Fault Lines by Bodhi Bauckham. It is a good book, but... Yes. Aside from that. Again, study the word of God. Yeah. Study God's justice. Study God's justice in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and I think that it becomes, the things that become, that are supposedly hazy uh, become quite a bit more clear. Yeah. And yeah. just be aware of fine packaging and empty, hollow inside boxes. Yes. There are quite a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That helps. All right, good. Next. What Next. else? What else do we got? You have some stuff. I have some stuff. Okay. Do you want to get your stuff? Do you want the poem or? Yeah, go ahead and do the poem. Okay. So there's this poem and the author is anonymous and I'll have to find the article that it was at the bottom of, but we love this poem. So oh, you're going to quote it? I'm going to quote it. She's going to quote yeah. it. So I maybe... accidentally memorized it just from reading it a lot. So... You accidentally memorized yeah, it. Yeah, most it's probably the only thing I've ever accidentally memorized. I but accidentally one day... memorized this. Okay. <laughs> no, it's really good, and it's the best anonymous poem I've ever heard. 
I know. I it's wish it best. had an author. Yeah, I would say I wish it did have one. I'm sure if, hey, if you're the author of this poem and you're watching this now. No. Yeah, right. Please come <laughs> forward probably, if you know no, the author. They're probably, they're probably dead, whoever it is. Um, o ye of little faith, God hath not failed thee yet. When all is dark and gloomy, thou dost so soon forget. Forget that he has led thee and gently cleared thy way. On clouds has poured his sunshine and turned thy night to day. And if he's helped thee hitherto, he will not fail thee now. How it must wound his loving heart to see thy anxious brow. Oh, doubt not any longer, to him commit thy way. In whom the past thou trusted and is just the same today. Very good. I almost got tripped up. No, that was good. (laughs) Very nice. Uh, There's another thing from that article, and I just have it saved, so I hope I can find it quick. But we quote this little part, too. It's actually from Streams in the Desert from July 4th. I don't know what year. (laughs) Okay. So we can link it in the description. But um, this. It takes a long time for some... Pensioners to learn that delays are not denials. Ah, there are secrets of love and wisdom in the delayed blessings department, which are little dreamt of. Men would pluck their mercies green when the Lord would have them ripe. Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. So. Okay, but that line. I totally like pulled it out of context. But. Okay, men would pluck their mercies green when the Lord would have them ripe. That's so good. I know, it's so good. Men would pluck their mercies green when the Lord would have them ripe. Therefore, will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you? Yeah, so I think the whole article, it's been a while since I've read the whole thing, but it is so good, right? It's about um, expectation and praying for certain things and the Lord keeping Sometimes the answers to our prayers for his perfect time and how we can trust him even in that. But yeah, how often we want things before they're ready for us. We can trust his timing's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. It's really good. All right. You want? Jonathan Edwards. Okay. Okay. So here's my question. This is just interesting. An interesting observation that Edwards makes in his uh, sermon, Saints Absent from the Body. So here's, so, so (laughs) I read this a few months ago. What do you think? Okay. We don't know precisely what happens to us when we die. We know that as believers, we'll be in the presence of the Lord. Okay. Um, Do you think we're, okay. So (laughs) I don't know if I want to ask you this or just read this to you. So (laughs) what do you think, what do you think happens when, what, what do you think happens when we die? Scripturally speaking, of course, we don't, we're not just spitballing like ideas here. Like what happens here. the second we die or what happens in throughout, throughout eternity. For people that have been yeah. in eternity for, you know, 100 years, for people that are with the Lord 500 years ago. They're with the Lord. They're with the Lord. They're with the Lord. But what does that mean? In his presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're enjoying him forever. I mean, if the chief, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then in heaven that continues. They're glorifying God and they're enjoying him in a full, complete way. There's no sin. There's no suffering, no sorrow. Yeah. Um, they're together with the saints 
and Okay, so what's interesting is, and all that's true. Yeah. What's interesting is, I read this from Edwards. Uh, he takes uh, the 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 verse from Hebrews. We are therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and then he you know dot 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 goes into all the clouds of witnesses of who they were from the Old Testament and such. But so one of the things that he says is that uh, in therefore undoubtedly the saints in heaven are partakers with Christ in the joy and glory of the advancement and prosperity of his kingdom of grace on earth and success of his gospel here, which he looks on as the peculiar glory of his reign. Um, he says, they have as much greater advantage to view the state of Christ's kingdom, those that are now with the Lord, they have as much greater advantage to view the state of Christ's kingdom and the works of the new creation here than while they were in this world, as a man that ascends to the top of a high mountain has greater advantage to view the face of the earth than he had while he was in a deep valley or thick forest below, surrounded on every side with those things that impeded and limited his prospect." Nor do they view as an indifferent or unconcerned spectators, so the people that are with the Lord, nor do they view as an indifferent or unconcerned spectators, any more than Christ himself is an unconcerned spectator. The happiness of the saints in heaven consists very much in beholding the glory of God appearing in the work of redemption. For it is by this chiefly that God manifests his glory, the glory of his wisdom, holiness, grace, and other perfections to both saints and angels, as is apparent by many scriptures. So, essentially, oh, and then he says, And the saints in heaven are undoubtedly unspeakably, have a, have a greater advantage to take the pleasure of beholding the progress of this work on earth than we are as they are under greater advantage to see and understand the marvelous steps which divine wisdom takes in all that is done and the glorious ends he obtains, the opposition Satan makes, and how he is baffled and overthrown. They can better see the full connection of one event with another, and the beautiful order of all things that come to pass in the church in different ages that to us appear like confusion. So essentially... Edwards is, is saying that people that are with the Lord in heaven are watching us. They're partaking in the joy of the Lord as the expansion of the kingdom on this earth grows. To me, that's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah. This is, that's fairly new to me, to the concept of, huh, that, and that really fits, at least parallel with, therefore, since we are surrounded, the author of Hebrews says, by a great cloud of witnesses. He doesn't state at the beginning of that passage, he doesn't say, since all these people have gone on before you, or something to that effect, he says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And then Edwards paint this, paints this picture of saints that die, they ascend, they go to be with Christ, but yet now their bird's eye view, so to speak, and I, and I don't know precisely, Edwards doesn't get into specificity here, he doesn't say that they know every jot and detail of everything and all that but they can witness this expansion and the growth and they're partaking in the joy of Christ as his kingdom is growing here on this earth. Yeah. It's so cool in the sense that, you know, if we know and love the Lord and our life is to glorify him and to enjoy him and we take the great commission seriously to go out and teach all nations to obey him, 
we are joining in the work of the kingdom on earth, then it would be our joy and just a continuation of that in heaven to see the continuing unfolding of God's plan, to see how he's saving and redeeming and how he's using trouble and trial, um, ultimately for the good of his people. Like to have, like it talked about, the mountaintop view, that perspective of being up and looking down. Like they are, it's their joy, it's their happiness to look down and see how God is bringing his kingdom from heaven to earth. Yeah how he is redeeming the nations, how he is saving his overarching story of redemption played out on earth. They're witnessing and enjoying. Yeah, it's truly a beautiful image and a beautiful picture of what eternity, a, a part of what eternity will be like for us as we, in, if, as we have that joy, as we see this unfold. I never us. thought of that till you read yeah. that to me. It also makes me think, because... You read that back when I was reading the prayer book and it talked mm -hmm. about that prayer book was saying a lot about um, how we store up, lay up prayers in heaven. And, you know, we probably won't see God's fulfillment to a lot of the prayers that we're laying up. Um, they might be things that happen beyond our lifetime, but yet no prayers that the saints of God utter just fall to the ground. They all go to his throne room and they're laid up there. Um and he dispenses them, kind of like the poem talks about, in his time. They're his mercies poured out um, when he wills. So when we were, when you had just read that to me, it made me think of like my grandparents who love the Lord, um, who are with him now, the prayers that they prayed. Like what prayers did they lay up for me, for you, for our children, that it is their joy now in heaven to watch the fruit of, to watch. Um, our children love the Lord and learn his ways to watch us walk in that. Like that's so neat. And then how far back does that go? Like, did we have great, 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 great grandparents who had, who loved the Lord and had the mind's eye to pray for God's faithfulness on down through the generations. Like that's something we've started to pray for daily yeah. for our children, but also for all the generations that will come from them um, to be Christ followers, to love him. So we're just storing up those prayers. Yeah. And it's neat. Like it'll be our joy then in heaven to watch God continue his work, even through our line and through, you know, out the world. Yeah. His redeeming plan just growing. Yeah. It's really neat. It's really great. It's really great. Okay. I think you had some additional observations. Yeah. I have some things. Old Testament, right. New Testament parallels that those are always fun. I've been seeing. Yeah. So I love the parallels in the old and new Testament. I do too. And some of them like, some of them are obvious, I guess. And some of them like just have been like popping out that I wouldn't have even thought of. Again, the Bible reading challenge, join it. Christ church, the Bible reading challenge. It's so neat. Um, okay. So this is one I really loved. Deuteronomy 5.15, it's the latter part of it. And this, actually, this phrase is quoted so many times in Deuteronomy. I just picked one. Um, but it's talking about how in the land of Egypt, the people of God were in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. But that phrase, um, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, just over and over, you hear it. So then I read Mark 6, 
And this is verse two. Um, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So like not only in this particular one that I pulled out, um, God does these things with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It's connecting it to uh, that's why God commanded to keep the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, Jesus begins to teach and they wonder how are such mighty works done by his hands? Um, yeah. And then in Mark 1 41, uh, there is a man who I don't remember what he has, but he's asking for healing and moved with pity. He being Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And he heals him. But it's like just that language of a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Then here you see Jesus, God in the flesh, doing mighty works by his hands, stretching out his hands and healing and teaching. Um, I don't know. I don't think I would have seen it had it not been that I read it back to back. Yeah. So that was awesome. Is that the only outstretched arm? That I've seen so far, yes. Oh, okay. There's more in Deuteronomy. Well, it just also makes me think of the verse in Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday in the Old Testament and in even in the New Testament, it's that's still there. It, the, yeah. Even the language employed. Yep. And I read this one today, Deuteronomy 26, 18. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments. And he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor, high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. What does that make you think of? You are a chosen priesthood. But you are a chosen people, a mm -hmm. royal priesthood, That's a it. holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's First Peter 2, 9. So, like, just very similar language about God in Deuteronomy and about Jesus in First Peter. So, I love that. That's wonderful. Um, another interesting thing, and I'm... My better. Do you have the Bible? Mm-hmm. I just love this. This isn't really a parallel. I think those are my main parallels. Um... Oh, okay. This is not necessarily a parallel. This is really cool. Mark 5, 19 through 20. So Jesus heals a man uh, with a demon. And Jesus did not permit this man to go with him because the man wanted to follow him. And he, it says, he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he, the man, went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. Oh, the Decapolis. Thank you. How much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. So Jesus tells him, go tell everyone how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man goes out and tells everyone how much Jesus has done for him. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, yeah. He's giving Jesus all the glory. 
Like, does he understand Jesus' deity by doing that? Like, right. go tell what the Lord has done. Hey, Jesus has healed me. Jesus has done all this. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. So I do have something that I'll share next time. Okay. About Balaam and Balak. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.